sun's coming up in the morning. Every tear will be gone from my eye. This old clay's gonna give way to glory. And like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. In a world filled with doubts and confusion, it's so hard when you don't understand. But I'm standing on a solid foundation, and I hold to an unchanging hand. And the sun's coming up in the morning, every tear will be gone from my eye. This old clay's gonna give way to glory, and like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. And the sun's coming up in the morning, every tear will be gone from my eye. This old clay's gonna give way to glory. And like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. Praise the Lord. Isn't that good? Man, we're going to take to the sky. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 14. And we're going to get two things today. I kind of went, uh, I've been watching a little... YouTube channel, one of the fellows in our uh, uh, church, and he's always, he says, going on a rant. So I went on a rant this morning in the service, and I decided to follow in his footsteps, and uh, I did a little rant. Now, I don't know, you could define that however you want, I guess. He defines it one way, and I just kind of followed what he said it was, and so I kind of did that. I guess you kind of say whatever you want. You just let it rip. <laughs> so I did a little rant. Now, I'm not going to do the rant this morning, uh, uh, you know, because we, we're at 11 o'clock, because we don't really have time, but unless the Lord leads me to rant. <laughs> he probably wants me to preach instead of rant. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how it goes. So chapter 2, the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. Came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, that the, all the world should be taxed. That sounds like America. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. What a wonderful passage. Every year it seems that we read this passage. Every year we go back to it. And you know, the truth is, is that in the world in which we live, everybody's kind of got an idea of what Christmas is all about. It seems to me that for some reason, Christmas is on the way out. I'm not just talking about Christ not being in Christmas. I mean, even you go into stores and you go into different uh, places and they don't even have Christmas music playing. I mean, what's that all about? I mean, if I'm going to go to a restaurant and there's not that many open, but if there are some that are open, I sit down at Christmas time, I want to hear Christmas music. I go to the grocery store or even to the mall or wherever it might be. I want to hear some Christmas music. I'm not talking about that new stuff that makes you pop and wave and all that stuff. I'm talking about the good old-fashioned Christmas music. But it's on the way out, isn't it? Well, I tell you, it seems like the world wants to get rid of Christmas. And why wouldn't they, right? Why wouldn't they want to get rid of Christmas? Because Christ is at the root of it. Christ is at the foundation. And so we move further and further away from him. Of course, commercialism's always been an issue with Christmas. But it seems more so than ever now. But in this particular passage, we are reminded about the true meaning and real reason for Christmas, and it's the birth of Jesus Christ. Not only do we see Christ in the passage, but we see mom and stepdad there gathered together, and I'm quick to say it that way only because we know that Jesus Christ was born of God. Again, I'm going to be honest with you. You're going to, bring, you're going to get into a relationship, and I'm just going to say it, okay? Now I'm going to rant a little bit. But if you're going to get into a relationship and you're going to remarry or something, and you have what's called what people would call stepchildren, you better treat them like they're your very own. If you can't marry somebody and treat them like they're your very own, discipline them like they're your very own, treat them in every respect like they're your very own, my friends, stay away from that relationship. You shouldn't have a difference between your kids and my kids. They're our kids. But with Jesus, we make the distinction because he was God-man. We want to make sure we understand that Joseph wasn't his biological father. God was and he's born, the Bible tells us. He's brought into this world God, man, a little babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Those shepherds in the field, they are alerted of this fact. The angels say, hey, we got a, Jesus is here. Oh, man, I got to go check this out. They make their way over to see Jesus. It would be a few years later, but ultimately the wise men make their way over and present gifts to him. What a wonderful Savior Jesus is. What a unique Savior he is. He's just so marvelous. And I want to touch on him today. I want to talk about the Savior a little bit. Kind of an unusual kind of message. It's not really laid out like a message as more as it's just, here's four things about the Savior that I want you to note. He's such a wonderful Savior. 
Can I tell you four areas? He's a prophesied Savior. He's a powerful Savior. He's a perfect Savior. He's a personal Savior. And I want to touch on every single one of those today. I want to get to all four because it's so important. And as we face Christmas today, we need to understand that Jesus was more than just an opportunity to gather with friends or family. He's more than just a reason to go out and shop and give away presents. He's more than just a reason to put up a Christmas tree and to celebrate a holiday. No, he is God, man. He's Jesus Christ. He died, was buried, and rose again the third day. Man, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is so wonderful. Father, we come to you. We just ask that you'd bless us and help us to understand a little bit why he's so wonderful, even this morning. Lord, we'll give you the glory for it. And Lord, if there be those that are without Christ in this congregation or watching via the live stream, I pray, Lord, that their con- the conviction would be so great on their life that they'd re- to, to fall on their face before you and receive and accept the Savior, Jesus. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. First of all, he's a prophesied Savior. He's so wonderful, he's prophesied even. It was foretold that he would come. We know Jesus was of Jewish descent and therefore he was of the seed of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 22 verse 18, we're told that through Abraham's offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This is clearly a prophecy that points to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, we knew already that he would be of the seed of Abraham. We can go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, and we would learn that he was from the line of King David. It was already prophesied. It was already foretold in Jeremiah 23 when it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute justice, a judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. That has not happened yet, friends. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Let me tell you something. That points right to Jesus Christ and it's telling us that he would be of the line of King David. That was prophesied. The Bible even goes on to tell us in Micah 5, 2, that we can know he was born into the tribe of Judah in the region of Euphrata, literally, now watch this, in the town of Bethlehem. It literally tells us before, before he ever showed up on the scene, before he ever was born in a manger in Bethlehem, we were foretold, prophesied that he would indeed be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. But thou, Bethlehem Euphrata. That's amazing how he, he literally designates which Bethlehem even. That's so important, by the way. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up, it was prophesied that he would show up Not only the seed of Abraham, not only from the line of King David, but in the town of Bethlehem. Take your Bible, turn over to the book of Isaiah chapter 7, please, verse 14. In this particular passage, we are prophesied or foretold that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14.
The Bible tells us in Isaiah, that's a big book too, isn't it? He's considered one of the major prophets. It's because he has so much to say. Notice what he says in Isaiah 7, 14, again under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now again, someone might twist that and someone might say, well, when it says here in the passage, a virgin shall conceive, of course, that just means that when they were together the first time that she conceived. That is not what it's stating. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in the book of Matthew, he restates it, behold, a virgin shall be with child, with child. That changes everything, doesn't it? And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God wanted to make sure we understood that while she was with child, she was still a virgin, which means she never entered into a relationship with a man. She was literally supernaturally conceived in by the Holy Spirit of God. That's never going to happen again. So don't try to use that. We know this prophecy and we understand and we recognize that Jesus Christ is a prophesied Savior that he was long foretold of before he ever arrived. Matter of fact, The Bible tells us, too, that the shepherds would visit Jesus, that the kings would present him with gifts. We already noted that, but it was prophesied beforehand in the book of Psalm, chapter 72, verse 9 and 10, when it says, They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isle shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. I'm going to tell you something. God foretold that this, those wise men would come. God foretold that those, those shepherds would show up at the, the manger. God already said it. God made it clear. God wanted us to know that there is something unique, very special, and different about Jesus Christ. He is wonderful because he is prophesied. When Jesus was born, we know that King Herod sought to slaughter a number of the children in Ramah. He attempted to kill him, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jeremiah 31, 15, this too is foretold. It's prophesied, thus saith the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Let me tell you something. God had already made it clear that when Jesus Christ is born, there's going to be a king come and try to kill him and destroy him. Prophesied. Probably my favorite prophecy concerning Christ is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now listen, these biblical prophecies are astonishing because they are accurate. They are spot on. But they become all the more astonishing when we consider the unlikelihood of all these prophecies being fulfilled together. 
To think that not just one, not just two, not just three or four or five, not just 10 or 20 of them would be fulfilled, but they would all be fulfilled exactly the way God said, exactly the way they were prophesied is beyond human comprehension. And may I say it is nothing short of a miracle. It is supernatural. It's all God, nothing to do with man. Jesus Christ is so wonderful. He's a prophesied Savior. He's a powerful Savior. He is a powerful Savior. Turn to Acts chapter 10, please. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Speaking concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, we're reminded in Acts chapter 10, 38, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Notice again that he was anointed, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with promise who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. We think about all of the diseases and all of the shortcomings that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, healed while on earth. Can I tell you, as we look at this passage, we are reminded that they are all offspring of a satanic creature, the devil. Any negative, any horrible thing really that exists in our world is a direct result of the sin that was brought into this world by Satan. He oppresses I can't wait till one day when every tear shall be wiped away. Every sorrow will be gone. Every pain and every hurt will be done away with. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and there'll be no more sin. No more suffering. No more pain. But Satan himself will be locked away. He'll actually be in a place called the lake of fire by then. It's interesting if we look at the timeline, we know that the the devil was about. He's loosed right now. He's going about deceiving and causing all kinds of problems, tempting and doing all the things that he does to wreck and ruin lives, relationships, and countries, and nations, and the world. But there's coming a day at the end of the seven-year tribulation period when the Bible says when Christ returns and Armageddon takes place, that old devil, that serpent's going to be grabbed hold of, and he's going to get a chokehold, so to speak, from God, and he's going to find him with chains, and he's going to cast him into the bottomless pit. For a thousand years, Christ will rule and reign on the throne of David. For a thousand years, as it was prophesied, he will rule with a rod of iron. Why a rod of iron? Because there's still that old sin nature within mankind. But the fuel, the, the, but the, the, the igniter, the, the, the actual flame, so to speak, will be in that pit. We'll still have that, those desires, but they won't be being flamed by him anymore because he'll be put away. But can I tell you, at the end of a thousand years, he'll be loosed again. And the Bible says he goes about deceiving the nations. And they find themselves focused on Israel again. And now a big battle is going to take place. But he'll lose again. He'll be cast into the lake of fire. And then the great white throne judgment will take place and a new heaven and a new earth will be created. And guess what? No more sin. 
Jesus Christ is a powerful Savior. We sing a course around here. It's called He's Able. It says he healed the brokenhearted, he set the captive free, he made the lame to walk again, and he caused the blind to see. Boy, he had power over nature as he cried, peace be still. He had power over the grave as he cried, Lazarus, come forth. He had power over death as he cried, it is finished. And why wouldn't he? He's Emmanuel, he's God with us. He was and he is the creator of all the universe. Take your Bible, look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. This Jesus, a powerful Savior. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, we read, for by him, We'd look at the preceding verses. We'd know that the person is Jesus it's speaking of. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be of thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. Notice again, all things were created by him. Everything in heaven, that's its on earth. Whether it's visible or invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Well, you talk about a powerful Savior. A Savior that can create the universe. God created the matter. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, formed and molded it. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, breathed life into that which has life. All three, God, all three, one, creator, Jesus Christ. What a powerful Savior we have. Not only is Jesus a prophesied Savior, a powerful Savior, he's a perfect Savior. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we have an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. A perfect Savior. Yet without sin. See, the Bible makes it clear that although Jesus Christ was tempted in every possible manner that you and I could be tempted, he never committed sin. You say, but he was God. He was, but he was also all man. He had the same desires within him. He had to say no to himself over and over and over again. He had to deny himself. He had to crucify the flesh. He had to live his life in the power of the Holy Ghost just like we do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Jesus Christ was sinless. 
He was perfect. He is holy and he's righteous. He's God. The Apostle Peter reminds us over in 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn there, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 21 through 23. He's going to remind us of something important here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we read, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he Suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus, we can picture him standing before Pilate. We can see him before the Sanhedrin. We recognize the suffering and just the the horrible, horrible things that he endured. And yet the Bible says that when he endured them, he didn't rebuke them again. He didn't go back at them. He didn't try to to go out and, and plead his cause in any way. Instead, he just took it. He took it like a man and he said, I will trust God with the outcome. He knew that he had to come. He knew he had to die. He knew that he would rise again. And he knew that someone had to suffer, bleed and die to save sinful mankind. And Jesus did that for you. And he did it for me. A perfect Savior. Not only is he a perfect savior, but he's a perfect sacrifice. (laughs) The Old Testament sacrifices were simply foreshadows of the perfect, once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27 says, Who needed not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. We read in Hebrews 10.10, but the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Man, I mean to tell you, that high priest would have to go before uh, that, that, that lover and he'd have to clean himself up real good. He'd offer a sacrifice on his behalf because he was unable to go into the Holy of Holies being sinful, so he had to offer daily sacrifice, not only for himself, but for a nation, which those sacrifices only covered sin for a period of time until Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, would come and ultimately lay down his life for you and me, pay the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate price for sin, death, a perfect Savior, a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. See, the only way that you and I could be reconciled to a holy and perfect God was with a holy and perfect offering. And we would have never had that if it were not for Jesus Christ. We'd have never had that if he was not without sin. Peter again reminds us of this truth. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, please, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18.
prophesied Savior, a powerful Savior, a perfect Savior. Notice he says in 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers. Well, then how were we redeemed? He says, please let me continue and I'll tell you. But with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Not one blemish, not one spot on the Savior. A perfect sacrifice. And that's exactly what it required. That's exactly what you required. It's what I required. It's what mankind required. Humanity is lost in their sin, ever tainted by it. We needed a perfect Savior and a perfect sacrifice. Oh, we have a wonderful Savior. Colossians 1.20 tells us, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. See, the sinless blood of Jesus Christ alone was able to bring peace between God and mankind. Christ's death on the cross paid the full penalty for the sin of all who believe in him. It's not enough to simply know about God. You need to know him. You need to know him personally, and he needs to know you. Has to come a time when you put your faith and trust in him, and you depend on that perfect sacrifice and that perfect savior to pay for your sin. That blood had to be applied to your account. It's not enough to just know the Bible. The blood has to be applied. It's not enough to simply have said a prayer. The blood must be applied. It's not enough to simply be kind and good and benevolent. No, the blood must be applied. That perfect, sinless blood of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, has the blood been applied? Oh, preacher, I've been in church for years. Is the blood applied? Well, I've been... I've been Serving in the ministry for years. Is the blood applied? I was taught as a child about God. I didn't ask whether you've been taught as a child. Has the blood been applied? If not, you're going to go right to hell. And that sounds harsh and that sounds mean, but my friend, I think sometimes in the world in which we live, we're getting some pretty harsh realities we're facing. We might as well face the harsh reality of a Bible, a truth in the Word of God that says either you are saved or lost, either you are alive or dead, you're either in heaven or hell. It's all based on whether the blood's been applied, that perfect, sinless blood of Jesus Christ. I don't want you to go to hell, I want you to go to heaven. I want you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's so wonderful, but you can't have that without the precious, perfect blood of Jesus Christ being applied to your life, to your account. And that brings us to our last point. Yes, a prophesied Savior, a powerful Savior, a perfect Savior, but a personal Savior. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53. I love this passage also. A personal Savior. You know, when he was on the cross, 
I was on his mind. That's a great song too, isn't it? I wish I knew it better. I'd sing some for you. I just don't know it. I, I know the phrase, but I can't remember how it goes. But let me tell you something. There's a truth there. It's a personal thing, this matter of salvation, because he's a personal Savior. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Man, I'm going to tell you something. It is a personal Savior that you need. A Savior that was willing to lay down his life on your behalf. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's a personal Savior. See, he loves you. You say, but it says he loves the world. He does collectively love the world. But my friend, let me tell you something. He loves you. He speaks to you. He draws you. And he'll save you. Personal. The fact is, is when you call upon him, he saves you personally. And from that very moment, he knows you now. Hey, there's a big difference between me knowing of God and him knowing me. They say it's not what you know, it's who you know. Now, I don't know about you, I can learn a lot about Jesus Christ. And I can say, boy, I know a lot about you. And one day when I die, I stand before God and I say, oh, by the way, I, I know who, that you created the universe, God. Man, I know that you love the world. So much did you love the world and you love me that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, was buried and rise again the third day. You did that for me. I know that you provided the Holy Spirit of God and for those who know you, who have received and accepted you, I know he'll live in you and he'll, he'll be in you forever until you go to heaven where you don't need him because then we'll be in your very presence. And he goes... Who are you? <laughs> you know me, God. It's me, Mark, you know. <laughs> I read your Bible through it. I, I did. I read it all the way through. I know, but what, 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 what's your name? I'm Mark. You died for me, remember? Let me tell you, at the judgment, he won't know you at the judgment. Oh, you better get to know him now while there's still opportunity. You say, that ain't true. None of that's true. He'll know who I am. He'll remember me. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He knows who you are if you're his. 
Now listen, I understand he's God. If he chooses, he can know every little detail. He knows how many hairs are on your head. I get all that. But for the simple issue of salvation right now, understanding that it doesn't matter how well you know him, how well you know his word, how often you attend the church house, that is not enough. If he's going to know you in the sense of being your father and you're his son, my friend, you better get saved. You better trust Jesus. You better put your faith in the perfect, precious blood of Jesus. Otherwise, you're going to miss out and you're going to stand before him one day and he's going to go, I never knew you. He's a personal savior. See, he's so wonderful today. He's a prophesied savior. Hundreds and hundreds of years before he ever showed up, we were told about him. We were given warning that he would come. He's a powerful savior. I don't know what you're facing and what you're dealing with, but I can guarantee you this. He's bigger. He's a perfect Savior. He's the God man. His precious blood is not just precious because of his name. It's because of who he is. God. Perfect, sinless blood. And while on earth he lived a perfect, sinless life as a man, he did what none of us could ever do. Because, see, we already started off in sin. Once we get saved, theoretically, let me tell you, biblically, scripturally, we have the same ability to be perfect as he was because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But let's just be honest for a moment. We give in too often, too easily. A prophesied Savior, a powerful Savior, a perfect Savior, but a personal Savior. Do you know him today? Oh, yeah, I got saved. I got saved, well, I don't know what, uh, 15, 16 years ago, yeah. Really? Is that how you say it? Is that all it was? Is just an event in your life? Do you realize that when you come to Jesus Christ, when you recognize him for who he is, when you fall on your face and beg his mercy, forgiveness, it ought to be something that changes your life. Why? Because he moves in. He takes up permanent residency in our life. You say, yeah, I got saved. I got saved a few years ago. Yeah, whatever. Man, my friend, there's something wrong with that. You mean to tell me someone that big, something that big can move into your life and not change you? Maybe you're deceiving yourself. Maybe you know him, but he doesn't know you. Is he trying to get me to doubt? I hope I can if you need to doubt. I mean, I want you to doubt it. If you, don't, if you aren't secure in it, if I can talk you out of your salvation, then you probably don't have it. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a wonderful Savior. Do you know him today? He came 2,000 years ago to this earth. He's coming back. If he came back today, would he know you? 
Or would you be just one of the crowd? Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us today, Lord. There's no doubt that in this crowd someone needs Christ. Someone is missing out on a relationship with Jesus. He's so wonderful. You're so wonderful, Jesus. But I know there are somebody or maybe more than that that don't know you. They're missing out on a relationship with you. I pray you'd bring conviction in their life. You'd show them their need of a Savior, their need of you. Father, for the believer today, may we recognize how precious and perfect that blood was, how great that sacrifice was, and may we, Father, give you your due honor and deserts. Oh, Father, we need you today. We just pray, Father, for your leadership. Now, Lord, bring conviction in our lives. Show us our need, and may we make decisions, Father, that will reflect that, that will change our lives forever. We'll thank you in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.